This is the Constructionist Podcast, where we take ancient stories, the person of Jesus, current events and topics, and help you construct a new Christian worldview that's relevant and loving to those around you. I'm your host, Kevin Bates. I'm a semiotician and community builder looking at the signs of the times to build a better future together. You are tuned into the Constructionist Podcast, and tonight we are continuing our series on the Bible, what to believe and what to leave. We encourage a worldview here at the Constructionist that's built on the principles of Christ. And in this episode, we are examining sayings of Jesus. So we're probably ruining the Bible for some as we talk about old stories of the Old Testament and a few of the New Testament. And we give some new perspectives that may go against what you've learned maybe in Sunday school way back in the day, or maybe even in church in current times. But by doing so, we hope to offer insights and perspectives that will help you in your own journey towards a greater understanding of love and compassion for yourself and others. So we want to assure you in tonight's episode that we are not fabricating anything as many have done with the stories that we're actually going over tonight. Any information we give you, any ideas we give you has been researched and thought out, or if it's a guess, we're going to tell you it's a guess because it is our goal to provide an honest and authentic perspective in our examination. So this is our thinking space where we present ideas and thoughts, and tonight we're making the best attempt to explain the pithy statements of Jesus practical thoughts and theologies of those to live by. So if you enjoy the Constructionist podcast and want to support us financially, please follow the link in the chat or the show notes on the social media platform you're listening to and visit our give page at resonatelife.org. So you can support us also through our Patreon page at The Constructionist. Your support will enable us to continue producing high quality content like this. But even more importantly, we want to hear from you. We want to engage with you. And we believe that through our interactions and discussions with listeners like you, we can continue to learn and grow together. So we value your feedback, your questions, and your ideas. And we're excited to build a community around what we call a communal hermeneutic. That's our shared exploration of new ideas and perspectives. So please don't hesitate to reach out and let us know what you think. All right, Sharia, good evening. Jake, good evening. Welcome to the pithy statements of Jesus. Why don't we start out by defining pithy? Because that seems like a negative term to me, that what is a pithy statement? Sounds a little bit snide and sarcastic that Jesus really didn't mean what he meant to say or didn't mean what is written on the page. And so what are pithy statements of Jesus? Jake, take it. Uh, pithy is like, um, short, sweet to the point. And so it's, it's, it's little sermonettes that basically that, that Jesus said throughout his life. Um, pith is the, when you take a citrus fruit, it's the white inside Mm -hmm. of the rind that you can still eat. It's also the essence of something as well. So like. When you squeeze an orange rind, you can light a match, and the essence makes it light and like flame up, right? Mm. Um, that's the pith. The pith is on the outside of a fruit, and so when 
when uh, we talk about the the pithy statements of Jesus, his little short quips, mm. um, sayings that kind of marks really what Jesus' ministry and sermons are. They're just a collection of pithy statements because we talk about that um, the Gospels are written quite a long ways after Jesus died. And so yeah. really only these little fragmented sayings probably could be remembered. And so that's what was written down was what was remembered. What was remembered were these little sayings. We all have little sayings that, that we stick to. Like, Kevin, do you want to give one? You're the average like, of the five the nature people of human you hang nature. out with the most. Yeah, you're the average <laughs> of the five people you hang out with the Future possibilities. So, yeah. so pithy statements. Those are the things that. So, so what I pulled out of our study, as well, which I want to make a point of this, is these statements could have been said before. So some of these things are not new things. A lot of people. Mm -hmm. Well, even when even when we're sitting there in a crowd and we're listening to a speaker, let's say we're at a conference, business yeah. conference, Christian conference, whatever it is, and we're listening to somebody and we hear something for the first time, we have never heard it before. Just because we have never heard it before doesn't mean that it's never been heard before. And so, so we need to keep that in mind that just because it's in the red letters doesn't mean that Jesus didn't get it from somewhere. And that's an honest honest look at it that jesus sometimes combined borrowed took from the old testament and changed we're going to go all over all that tonight so the first i, I also I, I think it's idea. fair to say to, to cut in i think it's fair to say that jesus might not have even said some of these things it's just the the mm -hmm. essence of his message was this so like right. there's Right. There are sayings that are attributed to people throughout time that were never said, like um, Marie Antoinette when when um, her head was cut off, right? Uh, it's, it was the let them eat cake, which she never said. Right. That came from a 17th century French play right? Um, that was attributed to her. That And the sayings let them eat brioche, which was just a, a dense butter bread and not, and not a, like a standard baguette. Um, or O. Henry that, that wrote down, um, that wrote this six page letter to a friend at the end said, I'm sorry, I didn't have time to write you a short letter. No one knows who wrote that. It wasn't O. Henry. And so you have these sayings out there that those, but we attribute to them because it makes the most sense that they would have said that. Yeah, which doesn't make it less the word of God or more the word of God. Right. It just is what it is. And that's what people like in my circles sometimes struggle understanding is just because something is deconstructed and said, hey, that actually came from somewhere else. Um, and the author of the book just borrowed it or took it doesn't make it less inspired or less whatever. It just makes it what it is and actually gives reason through this study. I've actually been given reasons why things have been said or why Jesus said it or why the author wrote it, um, which makes it much more meaningful and much more sacred to me than this was just some magical writing that you know, God in his magic pen, you know, made the authors scribe down, you know, like a dictation type thing. That that kind of theology just doesn't hold weight um, and especially doesn't hold weight with people who 
are, you know, an ounce of smart. So, so let's look at the Sermon on the Mount. That was pretty funny, wasn't it? An ounce of smart. An ounce of smart. <laughs> okay, so let's look at the Sermon on the Mount first, and specifically the Beatitudes, although the Sermon on the Mount is bigger than, than the Beatitudes. And so let's look at that first, is the Sermon on the Mount and the Blessed Bees. What do we want to cover here? Yeah, well, let's let's read them first, I guess. Please, yeah. yes. I can read it. Okay. Happy, and so we use a common English Bible. People are used to blessed be. Uh, yeah. This this translate over as happy are. Uh, happy are the people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are the people who grieve because they will be glad. Happy are the people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. Happy are the people who hunger, who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, because they'll be fed until they are full. Happy are the people who show mercy, because they will receive mercy. Happy are the people who have pure hearts, because they will seek God. Happy are the people who make peace, because they'll be God, called God's children. Happy are the people whose lives are harassed, because they are righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Hmm. Happier than you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you, all because of me. Be full of joy and be glad, because you ha have a great reward in heaven, in the same way people harassed the prophets who came before you. Okay. So, Sheree, why don't you lead us out in this discussion, because uh, you're the most versed when it comes to this. Um, mm -hmm. And why don't you take us through kind of a journey of the blesseds or the happier those? Sure. Um, so I want to orient us in the text a little bit. So we're looking at Matthew 5, um, and the Beatitudes form the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount goes all the way through, I think, chapter 9. So it's pretty long, and we're not going to look at the whole thing tonight. Um, Luke also includes a sort of version of the Sermon on the Mount. And so we see this same format of the blessed are or happy are those. Um, what's interesting in Luke is that Luke also includes four woe statements. So woe to those who are, um, so Luke includes the opposite as well. Um, so if we look at where the ideas are likely coming from, um, like we were saying, um, Jesus didn't necessarily make all of this up in his own brain, um, mm -hmm. but rather Jesus was steeped in the Jewish tradition. And so much, if not all of what Jesus has to say comes from there. And so there are a ton of passages in the Old Testament and in the Apocrypha that kind of mirror this format of blessed are fill in the blanks. Um, so we'll look at a couple of those just to get an idea um, and then talk a little more about it. So one example is Proverbs 8 verses 32 through 36.
All right. So it says, now children, listen to me. Happy are those who keep to my ways. Listen to instruction and be wise. Don't avoid it. Happy are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorposts. Those who find me find life. They gain favor from the Lord. Those who offend me injure themselves. All those who hate me love death. So in this, we can kind of see the same um, format of blessed are those who, um, in this one, it even kind of mirrors the woe statements as well. Um, so let's look at another example. This one is Psalm 1. And I'm just going to read the first couple verses. The truly happy person doesn't follow wicked advice, doesn't stand on the road of sinners, and doesn't sit with the disrespectful. Instead of doing those things, these persons love the Lord's instructions, and they recite God's instruction day and night. I'm going to stop there. Thanks, Jake. So this is a format that shows up all throughout the Old Testament, um, and it includes um, almost like disposition statements, like the mm. sort of person that we want to cultivate. Um, what I think is noteworthy about this is that um, throughout the Gospels, there's this tension of who Jesus is versus the expectation of what the Messiah is supposed to be. And I think this passage, it's early on in Jesus' ministry, and yet it's a clue at the sort of king that Jesus is, that it's not um, a king of might coming in to conquer and take over, um, but rather one of humility and gentleness. So I've heard a couple of things about, and maybe, maybe this will be new. Maybe it won't be new. Uh, I've this whole depiction that Jesus was delivering this message, you know, on the Mount, there's a mm -hmm. imagery there, you know, Moses on the mountain type of thing, mm -hmm. go up to the mountain. That's where God lives. So, so the imagery here is a little picturesque. So let's say, Let's say that is imagery that's added, that maybe this is more imagery that brings God to more of an elevated status because the author wanted to in Matthew, mm -hmm. uh, Luke as well. So, so let's just take the, 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 the sermon. It seems a little too tightly packaged for me. And I'm wondering if this is more of a compilation of multiple things or multiple events that it's not just one event, um, but it might be multiple. It, is there a, it, because, because in this like scene, there's a bigger message, I guess, that is being packaged together than just a pithy mm -hmm. scene, <laughs> if I could, if I could throw that out. Yeah, well, and the, the structure of the book of Matthew in particular, I want to say there's four major dialogue sections, mm -hmm. um, or rather monologue sections, where Jesus is just talking for pages and pages and pages. Um, and it's unlikely that people would have been 
sitting there in the crowd writing down these words word for word just as jesus said them right um, right so of course it's going to be much more likely that these are compilations of all of the preaching that jesus did in those three years of ministry and is that okay because that doesn't seem okay like like you're taking you know the very thing even even a professor at oregon state um religious department borg marcus borg marcus borg even marcus borg you know in the jesus seminar would put this in the green zone that this is the the jesus seminar this is actually what jesus said so I, what do you I, think i mean that just seems like maybe a little too far to take that this is a compilation i i mean the, the, sem the jesus seminar i was gonna talk about that a little bit after after um it was a group of scholars and priests and pastors and theologians who got together and they had different colored pebbles in the 70s, 80s, yep. 1970, 1980s. Mm -hmm. And they mm -hmm. went through every passage in the New Testament. And they, they gave their best guess on whether or not this was actually spoken by Jesus. And, right. and so this, the, the Beatitudes was the only passage that everyone in the room could agree to that's attributed to Jesus because we can't originate them anywhere else besides right here. And so even the study that we did earlier trying to figure out like where did these statements come from, they do originate right here. And so mm -hmm. they, I don't think that the seminar was saying that they were said in order like this, but that they were all spoken at one time by Jesus and then compiled as a sermonette. So you're saying that they were or were not? Were or were not what? Uh, said all at the same time. They don't necessarily have to have been said all at the same time, but okay. everyone agreed that they were originated from Jesus. Got it. Got it the historical person of Jesus. Right. Which is different than the historical Jesus is different than, than Jesus. We have to like delineate that as well. Cause a lot of them didn't believe like Jesus had any divinity whatsoever. And so they mm. believe in the, in the historical person, not right. in the, not in the divine Jesus or the Messiah, mm. but did the historical person of Jesus say these things? The entire, all the, all the gospels, the only thing they could agree on was this passage. Hmm. Okay. Well, Shrey, do you want to take a couple of these and, and dissect them a little bit and pull them apart? Sure. Didn't you want to we'll do that? We'll have to pull them up again. Yeah. If you didn't, it's okay. I thought you did. <laughs> that wasn't part of my plan. <laughs> oh, I thought you said it was part of your plan. I'm sorry. I have that written in my notes that you were going to do that. Okay. Boy, that's tough, isn't it? Happier people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Right. 
seems a little odd. It does. And it, it doesn't feel comforting. Mm -mm. No. It, Why do you think that that's sad? I mean, what did, what do you think it's saying there? I think Jesus is speaking to the disenfranchised. Mm -hmm. um, and those are people who have been discarded by the system. They're going to feel hopeless. Um, so I think even just being seen, the recognition of that means something. Yeah. Can I interject something, Mr. A, real quick? Yeah. Uh, we oftentimes, well, oftentimes, all the time, we read this passage from a position of power and mm -hmm. empower. Mm -hmm. And so the way around it that I've heard a lot is like, there are people that will be around us that are hopeless and that grieve and all this stuff. But if we, if we weren't the ones in power and we were the ones that were being marginalized and, and we were the one being occupied as as this these people were at the time mm -hmm. these passages would hit much harder than they do us who are marginalizing people and occupying people right mm -hmm. so to bring that farther i i believe so the historical jesus right that's a that's a controversial topic with marcus borg and them in the uh, Jesus seminar. So the reason why, one of the reasons why they voted green on this, that Jesus actually said it was because where did it originate? You know, there's no other documents that they can, you know, pinpoint, hey, this came from, came from this. The people have actually borrowed this forward in other religions. But where did this actually come from? But first, and, and foremost, it's the time on display, the Jesus ethic, that that Jesus basically was socially, I, I don't want to say a, a, a social defiant, but definitely socially defiant um, in behavior. Very anti-empire, yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> so like looking at the social structures of the day, and breaking those down. So taking the very marginalized and bringing them up to, well, you're actually the ones that are blessed, the very downtrodden, the hopeless, the, just the ones on the edges, you're the ones that are going to receive the blessing. So I think that, that one of the, um, one of the ideas behind the historical Jesus is that this actually just is, is, on display the Jesus ethic. So no longer are we a, a quid pro quo type empire. No longer are we a eye for an eye empire. No longer are we, you know, you do this for me, I do this for you type of thing. No longer is one standing under the other. Um, and, and that is on full display here that, that in a sense it's, it's what Brueggemann would say, um, social resistance, where it's the, as, as he, uh, Brueggemann wrote a book called The Sabbath as Resistance. I guess this would be a nonviolent, passive social resistance where, where we're looking at, at 
the edges saying that they're actually going to be first and the ones that are in the center, the ones that are on top, the ones that are winning, I guess, those are going to be last and the last will be first. Um, that's what I see when you, when you mention Shreya, the hopeless, and then your heart sinks and your eyes drop and you go, wow, that's, that's like a bummer, but actually yeah. it's not a bummer. <laughs> Feels like a bummer though. Well, sh shall we move on? Yes, please. Are we still the on the Beatitudes section, or do you want next? to move to the next section? Because we can definitely Let's move keep going. to the next. Let, keep going to the next session, section. Yeah. Well, I would say that moving from the socio-political landscape of this Sermon on the Mount, the next section then moves into the religious landscape. So that it, so it moves from social landscape, political landscape, where the poor are outcast and will never get ahead in the economy of things to more of a religious landscape of just the, the religious dynamic of the day. And the religious dynamic of the day is Jesus was a rabbi and Jesus was supposed to be teaching I guess, schools of thought of the rabbinical um, teachings and ideas. And so there were a couple of camps that Jews fell in, and one was the Hillel and the other one is the Shammai. And so either camp, you just picked one and you ran with it. And some people were a part of the school of this camp, the Hillel, and the other was the camp of the, the Shammai. And so so it seems and they like, were two rabbis right yes they were two schools of thought but yes originally rabbis and and also schools of thought and and lots and lots of writings how to act how to be how to teach how to you know walk and talk and follow and you know don't walk this many paces don't do this to keep you know the to keep the order to keep the the uh, levitical law Right. And so we're going to keep the liturgical law under the school of thought of this rabbi or that rabbi. Jesus comes along and he basically says, I have a new covenant. I have a new law. And he says, this is the new way of life. And so he starts teaching in that way. And we see this in the Lord's Prayer. And if we pull this up in the Lord's Prayer in um, scripture. And many of you were raised in certain traditions that, that you had to repeat this and, and these prayers. Repeating prayers is, is a very historical tradition. And hundreds of years before Jesus, you had synagogues that were like outposts from, you know, not, not everyone could go to the temple. So you had outposts of synagogue. So the synagogue system or the school system of the day was very prevalent and, and very probably after the destruction of the temple um, in the 500s BC uh, E, you, you see then the, the, the rabbinical um, synagogues start to, to emerge. And, 
in the practice of the synagogue, you would repeat prayers. And so repeating or memorizing prayers has been a practice of Jews, but really all religions, Christians as well. And so when they say, Lord, teach us to pray, you know, you, that's a signal for us. Teach us to pray. And so, so Jesus is in his rabbi form. He's got the rabbi clothes and the hat on right now. And he says, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us the bread we need today. Forgive us for the ways we have, gone, have wronged you, you, as, you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And every good, you know, high church Latin Catholic would say, and thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Where did that addition come from? Who knows? But anyway, so so we have the the Lord's Lord's prayer in a structure of teach us to pray. So that's our signal that this is a structure, and all Jews would repeat benediction type prayers throughout the day. And one of those prayers that was repeated, which we're going to go over next, is the Shema. Uh, the Lord God is one. You are the Lord. The Lord God is one. And so, so that prayer out of Deuteronomy is emphasized twice a day. But then you have the next set of benediction type prayers, the Baraka, the benediction in Hebrew, the Baraka, where they would say Barakic type prayers throughout the day that became a custom at least three times a day, which was the praise of God, and then followed by gimme, gimme, gimme. So, so you had praise of God, blessed are you, God, for you take care of and heal. You are the great physician, and you take care of me. Um, and by the way, can you take care of this? Right? So that is, a, that is a prayer of the, the Baraka, the benediction, praise of God, followed by a supplicate request of, of some kind. And the, the word for the structured rabbinical prayers is the Amidah. And the Amidah is different than the Shema. The Amidah, the Amidah, was the set of prayers that were outside of the Shema, basically integrated into a religious Jew um, and and said repeatedly to keep and to follow the basic requirements of prayer for the day. Did that make sense? Is the Amidah was the, the set of prayers that everyone said that were to fulfill the basic requirements that the rabbinical school required everyone to say. It's like, if you say this set of prayers, these 14, 18 prayers. If you said these 18 prayers, you're covered. Um, if you don't say these 18 every day, you're not covered. So that, that's the Amidah. And, and so we know just the structure of this prayer and how you had, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debt against us. That, that this, becomes, uh, this becomes an Amidah structure. And, and so people have taken this prayer and, and definitely have married 
each line to a certain Amida type Baraka, the benediction. And so, so let me pull one out for us. Um, forgive us our debt as we have also forgive those who have debt against us. That's the sixth Amida. Um, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one or, or whatever version that, that you, uh, that you have read or you, you have. That's another Amida. That's a specific Amida, uh, type, um, prayer for your, that, that these, that these sections in our Lord's prayer are written down long before Jesus. Long, long before. Yes. So these are copy and pastes from Jew, bless you, bluish Jewish traditions that, mm-hmm. that Jesus would be hearkening to, not making up like out of nothing. Right. So, so our father, right? Our father. Do I bring it up? Who art at old English, right? Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Just those two lines, right? Three, three sections. Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father, every Amidah has our Father. Every Amidah. That's, that's our, our, our signal that this is a part of the benediction. This is a part of the Jewish benediction. Our Father. Oh, there's a set of prayers for us, right? Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Who art in heaven is the third Amidah. Hallowed be thy name. It's the third Amidah. Then when it says, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That section is the fourth Amidah. Give us this day our daily bread. That's the... I, the ninth Amida, and then and and go on uh, from there. So each one of these can be connected to um, an ancient set of prayers that actually started hundreds of years before Jesus. So what Jesus was doing, the sacredity behind this Lord's prayer, is now this is Jesus is basically saying, I don't care what school you're a part of. You're now a part of my school. This is the Jesus school. And he's saying, I know that you have said these prayers. Here is the prayer set that I want you to say. And this is the rabbi in his teaching where they say, teach us to pray. He's like, okay, I'll teach you to pray a new set. The basic requirements that I'm going to give you, this covers everything. And what's really crazy about this prayer is he concludes um, social constructs. So our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, this big, like, oh, wow, this, and then give us our bread. Right? So, so like, like we have the universe and the amazing things about God and give us bread. Mm -hmm. But then God, give us bread and forgive debts year of jubilee 
right? Mm -hmm. So Jesus takes care of the poor and also the year of Jubilee. This is what freaked the, 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 the teachers of the law, the Pharisees. This is what freaked them out because they were used to this very strict Amidah. And now Jesus is like cherry picking and saying, okay, well, here's a set, a new set of seven. And you're going to say these seven prayers and they include feeding and debt reduction and also the glory of God. It's pretty amazing. So that's the Lord's prayer. Do you guys have any thoughts about that? At, at first he said it was like, that we're going to like the religious side of things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and moving away from, from the economics. But I think what I just heard you say is that it's very much the economics. Mm -hmm. There, there, there is, well, yeah, Jesus, the threat of Jesus is he was bringing in the year of Jubilee and the, the religious teachers did not want that to happen. <laughs> and there's yeah, a big yeah. economics behind the year of Jubilee. All debts are paid. All slaves are free. All land goes back to the original owner. Yeah, so every, every seven years, all debt was supposed to be completely freed. Yeah. Every 49 mm -hmm. years, all land was supposed to go back to the original land holder. Mm -hmm. It's just this massive reset that would completely upend the, the economic system of the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we really have, we have no evidence that a Jubilee ever happened ever. Yeah. Yeah. But it would be nice. Yes, it would. All slaves are freed. All what, what else is there? Debts are paid. Slaves are free. Land goes back to the original owner and land goes completely feral. So like every seven yeah. year. Yeah. Um, it's just supposed to be a relaxation year of spend six years getting ready for your seventh year so that you right. can completely rest and retool. I, I wonder if, because Jesus was a, a student, and so I wonder, because each one of these prayers was written by a, some kind of sage, some kind of rabbinical sage long before. So this one section thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven that was written by somebody years before so i wonder what inspired jesus to use that one i mean did he follow them pretty much like that writer you know where he's like wow i really like that guy and and he used his his sage writing because each one of these was written pretty much by um a different person uh even i mean i was joking about where that you know for thine is the king the power and the glory forever and ever amen that's that's a chronicles verse but but uh you know i think that's completely actually appropriate to include in the heart of the passage because honestly there are new forms of lord's prayer see this form of the lord's prayer is not just teach us to pray and we repeat this thing over and over again what jesus was i think doing which you know this is a guess because i wasn't you know around and i didn't ask him
But if I did ask him, I would say, so is that just like examples? Like, are you giving us examples? And Jesus was like, yeah, you know, I like this guy. He said this section of, of prayer. It's like, it's like the, uh, the verses of praise, you know, like I like these verses of praise. So say a little bit of this and, you know, you know, this whole debt thing, screw this debt system. You know, this sucks. So let's start praying this. Let's bring in some year of Jubilee over here. And, and Hey, don't forget, you know, that God feeds the birds of the air and, you know, like the, the flowers of the fields and the birds of the air, he doesn't forget. So, so you'll pray this prayer, like this, this, this whole debt forgiveness. We actually have a couple of these that I want to read. Somebody has St. or St. Francis, um, Pope Francis, uh, Go ahead and read Pope Francis and his new Lord's. Oh, wait a minute. No, those are the blessed it was Beatitudes. Feet. Oh, the yeah. Beatitudes. Yeah. Yeah. Oops. Okay. I, I totally. Hey, let's go back to that. I, I totally mixed something up, which is, <laughs> which is fine. But this is what we're, this is kind of what we're talking about. Well, pa um, Pope this is the spirit of it, that you can add new things and it's okay. You can your, add, like, how about some new blessed bees and some new Lord's prayers and stuff? Like, what your, could we Your do thought for? is right, though, Kevin. Pope Francis did release a new Lord's prayer, like, three years ago. Did he? Oh, let's yeah. look that up. Did he? Okay, I'll, I'll read a couple of the Beatitudes while yeah, yeah. you're looking okay. it up. So these were modern Beatitudes proposed by... Pope Francis uh, during a visit to Sweden in 2016. Blessed are those who remain faithful while enduring evils inflicted on them by others and forgive them from their heart. Blessed are those who look into the eyes of the abandoned and marginalized and show them their closeness. Blessed are those who see God in every person and strive to make others also discover God. Blessed are those who protect and care for our common home. Blessed are those who renounce their own comfort in order to help others. And blessed are those who pray and work for full communion between Christians. And then we have Nadia Bowles, Bowles Weber. Let's look at, uh, let's look at that one. Jake, you want to read that one for us? <clears throat> yes, I do. Do you have it? Not in front of me at the moment, but I can. Great. If you, if you have it, go for it. Well, I'm looking up something because I want to see if there is. I have um, it. Go ahead. Great. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Scrolling to the top. Blessed are the agnostics. Blessed are they who doubt. Those who aren't sure. Who can still be surprised. Blessed are they who are spiritually impoverished and therefore not so certain about everything that they no longer take in new information. Blessed are those who have nothing to offer. Blessed are the preschoolers who cut in line at communion. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are they for whom death is not an abstraction. Blessed are they who have buried their loved ones for whom tears could fill an ocean. Blessed are they who have loved enough to know what loss feels like. Blessed are the mothers of the miscarried. Blessed are they who don't have the luxury of taking things for granted anymore. Hmm. Blessed are they who can't fall apart because they have to keep it together for everyone else. Blessed are those who still aren't over it yet. Mm -hmm. Blessed are those who mourn 
you are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blesses are, blessed are those who no one else notices. The kids who sit alone at middle school lunch tables, the laundry guys at the hospital, the sex workers and the night shift street sweepers. Blessed are the forgotten, blessed are the closeted, blessed are the unemployed, the unimpressive, the underrepresented. Blessed are the teens who have to figure out new ways to hide cuts on their arms. Blessed are the meek, you are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are the wrongly accused. I know. Paisley wants out. Paisley, yeah. <laughs> Blessed are Sis Paisley. Would you like me to keep going? Because it is very long. No, it's, it's. I just think that those are wonderful. How about these? How about these mm -hmm. Lord's prayers? So here I got a couple of them. Our Father, perfect love, we turn again to you. Guide us, help us to love, so that your will may be done. Give us this day that we all need. Fill us with hope. Help us to forgive ourselves and others as well. And to look on them as you look on us, beautiful and perfect. Give us strength to resist when we are tempted. Deliver us from fears. For what, what you love is safe and your love remains forever and always. Amen. How about this one? This one's kind of crazy. Good caring presence around us and above us. Hold us in a sense of mystery and wonder. Let the fullness of your goodness be within us and around us. Let all the world know your ways of caring and generosity. May we find we have all we need to meet each day without undue anxiety. Overlook our many stupidities and help us to release everyone from their stupidities. May we all know that we are accepted. Strengthen us with, strengthen us that we will reach out to others, to the best, always with the faith, to rise above the ugly realities of our existence and we celebrate the gifts that you have given us. The rich kingdom of life's possibilities, the power to do good and the triumphs of good. In the moments when we have seen the glory and wonder of everything, you are life's richness, you are life's power, you are life's ultimate meaning. Amen. I mean, honestly, that was from the historical Jesus goes to church. And so, so I, I just really... Sure is intrigued. I see that you're. I, I would like to know more. You're, you're Amazoning <laughs> that book right now. <laughs> you're dropping that in your mailbox. <laughs> Purchased. Um. So, <laughs> so, when I look at the Lord's Prayer and the Beatitudes, if I go back and forth now, um, yes, we're moving from social economic realities to religious realities, but you know, there's no such thing as sacred and sec uh, secular. That, uh, mm -hmm. that we can try to divide those things. But what we do in the economy really does reflect our spirituality. What we do in our spirituality will be reflected in the economy. So, so I think that taking these blesseds and taking these this Lord's Prayer, what is the new Amida? Blessed are the closeted. May the closeted find hope and inclusiveness and not be in fear no more. That's the prayer. And I think that, I think that, uh, 
we need to continue to uh, reshape and rethink to uh, bring new realities to to the prayers. All right, who's going to take the Shema? Jake? I can, yeah. Yeah, please. Uh, move over there real quick. So, a probably the most, I think if I think of the most pithy statement of Jesus is, is the, his retelling of the Shema. Mm. And the Shema, if I come back here, sorry, I have too many buttons to push right now. Uh, in Deuteronomy, it reads this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your being, and with all of your strength. And so when Jesus later on uh, is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He cites the Shema, but then he also adds to love your neighbor as yourself. And that addition of that text... Um, was sacrilege because this is to the Jewish person of the day. This was the most important mm -hmm. writing in all of the Torah was the Shema. Right. And Jesus quotes it as he should have done mm -hmm. and, then and then changes it right at the very end. But they couldn't say that he was wrong. They just say that he was blasphemous and taking the Shema and changing it. Um, I don't have the other text pulled up where it actually happens, but the the Jewish leaders walk away in dismay afterwards. Mm -hmm. It gives an emotion to to the the, the Pharisees as they walk away. Um, all is hinged on that text. You to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But when Jesus changes it, it turns into loving others and loving yourself as well in that same aspect. So not just loving God, not just loving other people and not just loving yourself, but all three together perfectly. Hmm. I think that's a pithy example of that prayer yeah. as well. Yeah. I think that the, um, there's some misunderstanding right now especially on the political landscape of loving your neighbor and what your neighbor who your neighbor is i think i think deconstructing neighbor means somebody that doesn't live in your home mm -hmm. and so if it's a simple definition of somebody that lives close by but not in your home is your neighbor that the reality is is they don't live in your home so they might not think like you, believe like you, talk like you, walk like you, look well, like next, you. The next story that Jesus asked, well, who's who then is my neighbor? Right. And then goes into the story of the Good Samaritan. Right. right? And so the, the downtrodden, the one on the side of the road. Yes. But I think it, it's it's even more emotive that it's it's the person that you dislike the most. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can take it all the way to that degree, like Jesus did in that next story. Yeah, I just I just think that that 
really analyzing who our neighbor is because a lot of Christians just love other Christians. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I like people just like me too because it's easy when they talk like me and walk like me and look like me and believe like me. I don't really have to try at any level. Yeah. So our relationship is just paper thin at that point. There's no struggle. There's no figuring it out. And like Shreya, you know, it famously has said in the past is, you know, we would rather stone someone to death than figure it out. And honestly, honestly, like, gee, that's, that was the law. Like you stoned people. And like <laughs> These are Raya's pithy statements. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like, we would rather stone people than figure it out. And, and honestly, I think that we've just carried that ancient Jewish tradition forward to modern times that we would just rather mm -hmm. throw rocks than kind of figure out a relationship with somebody that doesn't talk like me, walk like me, look like me and believe like me. Um, it's happened on the political landscape, the social landscape. Uh, so, you know, progressive Christianity, the, the challenge with progressive Christianity right now that I see it evolving into is we are so upset at conservative Christianity that we don't know how to have a relationship with them either. And so yeah. what is, yeah, what, what, what's, what's the, our step, you know, in, uh, reaching across and, and loving our neighbor. And, and it's really difficult when they don't accept, you know, they call me a non-Christian and, you know, I, I don't think I would call them a non-Christian, but I've been called it, you know, a liberal and flaming liberal and all these things, you know, in the past. And it's like, well, won't you even have a relationship conversation with me? Um, I'm really thankful for, for, I have four friends in my life that are, what I would deem as at least quasi conservative, they sound conservative to me. Um, and they still are willing to put up with, you know, at least me being around. So, so I'm really kind of thankful for that. Uh, but it's not easy, you know, when somebody says something and I go, Ooh, that sounds really red. Um, <laughs> whether it be a political thing or whatever. So, so yeah, I think that that's our challenge right now. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go to the reinstatement of Peter. Okay. Let's put it up there. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, take care of my sheep. He asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was sad. It says he grieved in other translations that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He replied, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So this takes a little bit of historical um, backdrop is when a head of household, the male, a Jewish male would go to the temple. The temple 
would run rivers of blood because of the sacrifices that were happening. And all year long, you would raise a sheep and you'd bring that lamb to the temple and the head of the household would have that like just, you know, probably in a traditional way around its neck or thrown over its shoulder. And they would run, they would not run, but they would go to the temple and they waited in lines and the procession that went on during that time was just amazing because you had the military, the Roman military walking in on horses and chariots and armor and weaponry and all this, you know, armory, they would walk in and Jesus in the triumphal entry walked in on a donkey, you know, <laughs> so they, they, you know, said hallelujah to Jesus like a God. Well, that would you know, really took off the Roman emperor, I think. But all the while, the reason why the Romans were there and coming in and, and securing the area was, was thousands of people would show up and they would stand before the priests and the priest would ask them if they loved their lamb. And they would ask them three times, do you love your lamb? And then if the, the person that was standing there in front of the priest said yes three times and didn't flinch or didn't like make a smirk or didn't, you know, like was serious about it and showed that they really was sacrificing something that the family cherished, then the priest would accept the sacrifice. So, so this idea of Jesus standing before Peter is a priestly remark. It's a pithy statement <laughs> where it's like a priestly remark hearkening back to the three times that a priest would ask, you know, do, do you love, do you love me, Simon, son of John? Do you love your lamb? And, and Peter then was grieved the third time. Why? Because he was probably flinching and probably like squirming right in his, you know, in his robe or whatever, because honestly, what Peter did was pretty bad. And so here we have the reinstatement of Peter. And, and how this goes is the word love is really important in this passage as well. And I know it's not going to be up there, but I'm going to read out of the uh, New American Standard Bible of 1995, because that that's, well, basically, that's where my translation is into the Hebrew on my on my software, on my computer. That's just honest. So Simon, son of John, do you agape me? So that agape is that divine type of love that humans can, I believe, show through what we say a relationship with Christ. We can love in a pure way like Christ. So Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And he said, Peter said, basically, yes, Lord, you know, I love you and that love is phileo so jesus asks do you agape me and peter responds i phileo you so just like philadelphia right the city of love of brotherly love phileo means friendship type brotherly love and so so simon son of john do you divinely love me and then Peter says back, I brotherly love you. 
Now, that would have been a bummer to hear. But then he says, tend to my sheep, go feed my sheep. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? So Jesus says again, do you agape me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. I love you brotherly love. So Jesus then again asks, do you love me, divinely love me? And it's said in response, I brotherly love you. He said, uh, then shepherd, take care of my sheep. He said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you? Then Jesus changes and finally just says, okay, okay, I'll just match you. Do you brotherly love me? Peter then was grieved because he had asked him a third time, do you phileo me? That's what that word love there means as well. Do all, do you know all things? You know I phileo you. And Jesus still looks at him as probably a work in progress and just looking at him going, okay, well, I'll give you a C, pass you, <laughs> and uh, you can go feed my sheep still. So, so Peter is still working through things here. And, but it is a reinstatement as a priestly reinstatement of the love of God in, in Peter's, Peter's life. It just has some nuances in it that I think shouldn't be missed, the historical context, but also, also the, uh, the uh, Greek words or, yeah, the, uh, the Greek ideas of love of agape and phileo can't be missed either. It's very nuanced if you read the the original text yeah mm -hmm. that each time it's a different word for love each time it keeps getting just degenerated and moves into something that was less than right less than uh lacking right well what's really interesting though What's really interesting is a priest standing at the temple. This is the grace of Christ. This is like the Jesus ethic, right? Of the other. You can reject me. You can deny me three times and I'm going to reinstate you like a priest. But you're going to sit before me and you're going to say everything wrong to the priest. And I'm still going to accept you. Yeah, definitely. And so that's that's basically like the the kind of the practical theology that that you can pull out of that. All right, let's do a last one. You guys have anything else to say about that? No. One more statement. Let's do one more. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jake, take this and, and send okay. us down the road. Let me get to my text like I'm supposed to. <clears throat> okay. We're heading to Easter. We're now into Lent, so that's the perfect time for this. Uh, this is a story of Jesus dying. And so in Matthew 27, 45, from noon until three in the afternoon, the whole earth was dark. At about three, Jesus cried out in a loud shout, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you left me? After hearing some, after hearing him, some standing there said, he's calling Elijah. One of them ran over, took a sponge full of vinegar, put in a pole, and offered Jesus. But the rest of them said, let's see if Elijah will come and save him. Again, Jesus cried a loud shout, then he died. The curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two. 
later on it talks about stabbing him in the side and water comes out Simulagius was dead if you go Jesus was a rabbi in in form and in function and so one rabbinical idea is that a rabbi would start out with the first line of a psalm and the congregation at that point in the in the synagogue would know to sing the rest of that psalm so if you go to psalm 22 written long long before jesus would have been around it reads my god my god why have you left me all alone some translations say my god my god why have you forsaken me why are you so far from saving me so far from my anguish groans my god i cry out during the day but you don't answer even at the night time i don't stop you are the holy one enthroned you are israel's praise oh ancestors trusted you they trusted you and you rescued them they cried out to you and they were saved they trusted you and you weren't ashamed they weren't ashamed but I'm just a worm, less than human, insulted by one person, despised another. All who see me make fun of me. They gape, shaking their hands. He committed himself to the Lord, so let God rescue him. Let God deliver him, because God likes him so much. But you are the one who pulled me from the womb and placed me on safely on my mother's breasts. I was thrown on you from birth. You have been my God since I was in my mother's womb. Please don't be far away from me. Many bulls surround me. Mighty bulls from Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths at me like a lion ripping and roaring. I'm poured out like water. All my bones have fallen apart. My heart is like wax and melts inside of me. My strength is dried up like a piece of broken pottery. My tongue sticks out to the roof of my mouth. You've set me down the dirt. Dogs surround me. A pack of evil people encircle me like a lion. I can count all my bones. They divvy up my garments among themselves. They cast lots for my clothes. But you, Lord, don't be far away. You are my strength. Come quick and help me. Deliver me from the sword. Deliver my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. From the horns of the wild oxen, you answered me. I will declare your name to my brothers and my sisters. I will praise you in the very center of the congregation. All of you who revere the Lord, praise him. All of you who are Jacob's descendants, honor him. All of you who are Israel's offspring, stand in awe of him. Because he didn't despise or detest the suffering of the one who suffered. He didn't hide his face from me. No, he listened when I cried out and asked him for help. I offered praise to get congregation because of you. I will fulfill my promises in the presence of those who honor God. Let all who are suffering eat and be full. Let all who seek the Lord praise him. I pray your hearts live forever. Every part of the earth will remember you and come back to you. I they just skip forward and forward, and it's all about the praise of God and proclamation to the entire world of God's greatness. And so if you just take Matthew's version, and I can't remember if it's in Mark or Luke as well, but if you just take that version of God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, you come with a very weird theology that, that God turns God's mm -hmm. face away from Jesus. Right. Because 
Jesus bore the sins of the earth and God couldn't stare at the sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's completely different than what was happening at that moment. That what Jesus was doing was calling all people around him to praise God and to share the message of God's grace with everyone around them as well. And so it wasn't this oddness of Jesus becoming sin. Jesus, um, I think I, I hold a more Christus Victor view of atonement. And so Jesus isn't the substitute for our, for our sin as well. That what happened, I would say that Jesus didn't need to be crucified, didn't need to be sacrificed, didn't need to die in order to be the redemptor of earth. Mm. Um, I question, and I think it's, it's a good question whether or not Jesus was, if what was the story of his crucifixion, did he just crucify and die raise again? Or did all of these words get said what the authors are doing in the end of the gospels is hearkening back to that praise as a song. I think it had very little to do with the actual death of Jesus. Because if you go through the death of Jesus in the gospels, it happens exactly like the Psalm 22 says the cows of Bashan goes back to uh, Amos and mm-hmm. when Amos talks about the cows of Bashan being the fat on the Temple Mount, those are the religious leaders and the and what would soon become the Pharisees, that they're they're fattened by their agreement with Rome, the Empire, and so um, how Jesus was actually calling out the leaders of the of the uh, Jewish faith at that moment. They divvy up my garments. I have dogs that surround me. Those were the Roman soldiers divvying up the garments that cast lots. You can read that in the New Testament account as well. It just is squarely also in Psalms 22. And so it's hard for me to look at the gospel account of of Jesus' death as anything more than just a simple retelling of worship to God. Well, and also you can't deny this too when it comes to, how can I put this? Jesus is saying these things, the Psalm 22, but he's also saying it on behalf of the two on either side of him. So so everything that Jesus is saying, he's also saying to the robbers, right? Saying on behalf of the robbers. And so when you read before that, the inscription, the king of the Jews, right? They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with transgressors, right? And he was numbered with transgressors. And if I look at that, idea and i know it's not i'm going to use this metaphorically because i know that the and is not in the hebrew probably um but you can't forget the and 
you can't make light of the and where it's Jesus and these other two. And when Jesus is like saying, basically, you know, the Pharisees, you religious people, you are the cows of Bashan. Like you have eaten the fat of the empire and gotten fat yourself. Um, when, when he's making this scathing, like, I guess, edict, scathing, like type accusation against the religious, religious leaders as he is being hung and crucified. And he says all that he says, he's actually saying that on behalf of the other two as well, meaning who are the other two? That's us. That's everybody in the, in like, that's other people. That's the blessed or the hopeless. The guy on the right is the hopeless. Blessed are the poor. The guy on the left is the poor. And so, so it is actually a, a very strong um, said statement against the religious leaders, but also a hopeful reality for the today you will be with me in paradise people. Sure, you have any other thoughts on that? Mm-mm. It's a lot. It is well, a lot. It is a lot. A lot to think about. All right. Pithy statements of Jesus. Thanks both of you for uh, all the hard work on this one. And so next week, are we going into Revelation next week or the or the pastoral letters? What are we doing? Probably epistles. Epistle letters. Okay. Pastoral epistle letters. The letters. Let's just call it the letters. Next week is the letters. And then into Revelation, the last book um, of said Bible that we have in modern time is that's the last book of the bible so we're going to go over that last over the next couple of weeks that's our direction well with that good night everybody thanks for joining us